and over with. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. want to express my appreciation for each and every one of you being here with us tonight. We're going to talk about going to heaven tonight, and I hope that you will get a lot out of the lesson. I hope that when this is over with, you will want with all your being to be one who in the end gets to have a home in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. There are other passages like Acts chapter 4 and others where tell us that uh, there is no other name in heaven by which we can be saved. Jesus himself in John 14 says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this verse here tells us that... Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. The only one that can write you a ticket in heaven is Jesus himself. And it says here that he will do that for all them that obey him. I know in a lot of places it's not really kosher to talk about obedience anymore, but the Bible still says what it says. He will write a way into heaven for those who obey Him, and for no others. And we need to understand that. But the question would be, when we talk about obeying Him as it pertains to salvation, what is it that we're supposed to do? And so I would ask you that in this way. What do you know as the plan of salvation? We talk about obeying the plan of salvation. So what are we talking about? Well, when we talk about God's plan of salvation, there's two parts to that, isn't there? There is God's part, which is His love and His mercy and His kindness and His sending Jesus to die for our sins, to provide, provide a way of forgiveness for us. All the, the things that pertain to grace that God has done. And His part is done. He has provided that for us. So God's part, God has taken care of that. It's just they're waiting for us. In fact, Titus 2 tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Everybody has that. The other part is my part and your part, man's part. And there is a sense in which we save ourselves. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, after Peter had preached this lesson, he told those people, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now, how do they do that? By, by obeying God. They had been told to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins. By doing that, in a sense, they were doing their part to save themselves. Now, we understand God's part has to be there too. It, it wouldn't have mattered if they did that, if God had not provided grace for us. But my question to you again is, what do you know as the plan of salvation? Well, most of us say, well, I need to hear the gospel and I need to believe the gospel. And I need to understand and acknowledge and confess that as a result of learning from that gospel, I know and I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I'm going to repent of the way I've been living my life. I'm going to change the way I've been living my life. And I'm no longer going to live for me. I'm going to live 
for Jesus. Live the way he says. And I am going to be baptized for the remission of our sins as that gospel commands. That would all be true. All of that is God's plan of salvation, what our part is and what we need to do. I want to show you another verse tonight, though, and I want to think with you and talk with you a little bit about that. And that verse is over in Romans chapter 8, okay? And the question would be, I've been baptized, now what? After I've been baptized, now what do I do? There there are many different ways that the Bible expresses what we do. Romans 6 says we're raised from baptism to walk in newness of life. Both Ephesians and Colossians talk about the old man being crucified and the new man being what we are. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 24, there's another statement made that I just want to bring in here and we need to understand it and never forget it. Romans chapter 8 verse 24 says, For we are saved by hope. We are saved by hope. Now listen, there's a lot of things that the Bible tells us save us. We just went over those things that we so commonly talk about when we talk about the plan of salvation. And every one of those things, the Bible tells us repentance saves us, faith saves us, confession saves us, baptism saves us. There's statements in the Bible for every one of those. Here is one where it says that hope saves us. And what I would say to you is that after that initial obedience of the plan of salvation, being baptized into Christ to become a Christian, that there is more to it after that. And part of that more to it is hope. Because this passage says we are saved by hope. And we understand the other passages. If if I take something like baptism or repentance or faith... And I leave one of those things out, it's not going to work because the Bible says we're saved by those things. Well, the same thing holds true here. If I leave out hope, I'm not going to make it to the end. I will not eventually have a home in heaven because something is going to be missing that will help me get there. And because it's missing, I just won't make it. It is essential that I hope In whatever sense this verse is talking about, okay? It says here we're saved by hope. I want you to understand that hope is a noun that that can be a thing, but it's also a a word that can be a, a, a verb. I need to be hoping. I need to hope to the end. And, it, and, and really, I need to understand what that hoping involves. What is it that I'm hoping for? What is it that I need to remember that I need to have in my mind? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How are we saved by hope? If you were to look at a definition of the word hope, it would say something like desire and expectation. You've probably heard preachers give you that formula sometime in the past. Desire Plus expectation. All that means is you really want it and someday you expect to have it. 
When you have that combination of something, you have a real hope of that thing. In Romans chapter 8, verse 24, I want you to notice another thing. It says, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? And all that's saying to you is that hope has to do with something in the future. It's not something that you have right now. It's something that you you hope to have in the future. If you had it now, you wouldn't be hoping for it, would you? You would already have it. And so when we're talking about being saved by hope, we're talking about something that I keep in mind that's in the future. And my keeping that future thing in mind is going to help me get to heaven. It is going to be part of my salvation. It has to do with something in the future. Okay. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, we have another verse that talks about this hope and and what it does for us. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. It says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. What hope does for you is it anchors your soul. When spiritual hurricanes come through in your life and bad things happen and things that would push you away from God, the storms of life, if we want to use some poetry like that, your hope of a home in heaven is what holds you where you need to be spiritually. And I'm going to say this, if you don't have that hope, you don't have an anchor. And if you, don't, if you don't have that in your mind where you're doing the hoping day by day, one day life will blow you away. And it will cause you to get off into things you shouldn't get off into. It will cause you to give up. It will cause you to quit. It will cause you to get involved in some kind of sin because you didn't have the hope you needed to anchor your soul and keep you where you need to be spiritually. Okay? Hope helps you get through now to end up where you want to be. Now that may sound a little complicated. Let me give you a real simple example. Have you ever had a bad day at work? I mean a day where you just thought they were going to drive you crazy. Nothing's going right. Everything's going wrong. And everybody's on you. It's all your fault according to them. And you just wish you could. you You just don't win this is going to end. And let's say you have an eight to five job. Do you know what helps you get through one o'clock and two o'clock and three in the afternoon? It's five o'clock. The fact that you know five o'clock is coming and you're going to get to go home. The fact that you know it's not going to last forever. It is going to come to an end and you are going to get to leave. And you just say, I just wish five o'clock would get here. I just wish five o'clock would get here. It's not just a wish. You know five o'clock's coming and you're going to get to leave. That's real hope. You want five o'clock to get here and you really expect five o'clock to get here. And you can rest your hope in that fact that five o'clock's going to come and you're going to get to go home and get away from this. That's what hoping is. It is looking to the future to use that to help you get through today. And that's... That's what we need to do about heaven. 
We need to desire to go to heaven. You should expect to go to heaven. He's going to save those that obey him. If you do what he says to do to go to heaven, you should expect to go to heaven. But you're going to have to really want to go to heaven. Let me tell you what's not going to happen. You are not going to live your life distracted by everything in the world. To where you don't pay attention to God. To where you don't listen to what God says for you to do. You don't really care what God said for you to do. Or maybe you do, but not really. To where you don't do anything to prepare for the end of your life where you are one of the people who gets to go to heaven. You just don't pay attention to it. And then one day you wake up dead. And you find out, you look around, whoa, I'm in heaven. I made it. And somebody you knew back on earth that went before you, they come up and say, what are you doing here? Well, you don't belong here. We knew you back there. And, you say, and, and you're going to say, well, I don't know, man. I'm as surprised as you are. I guess I just lucked out. That's not going to happen. You are not going to luck out and make it to heaven. Nobody is going to heaven on accident. If you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to get there on purpose. You're going to have to get there because you decided that you're going. And you prepare for it. And you make sure that you are one of the people to where Jesus is going to author your salvation. And in order for that to happen, you really have to want to go to heaven. Because there are some strong forces out in this world who are going to do everything they can to keep you out of heaven. Have to want to go to heaven. I mean really want to go to heaven. So let's talk about wanting to go to heaven. One of the mistakes I believe we make is... In a, in a, in partially in a way, we, we don't have the right concept about why heaven is such a wonderful place. And the Bible tells us heaven is a wonderful place. It is, it is where you want to end up. But sometimes we, we, we don't really get the real point of why heaven is so great and so wonderful. We place a lot of emphasis on the place that the Bible calls heaven. And when we think of heaven, we think of pearly gates and all the jewels of the walls and the doors and all that. And we think of the street of gold that's like transparent glass. And we, we, now that's not all wrong because God gives us a description like that to put in our minds a vision of what we would consider to be the most beautiful thing that we could ever imagine. But I'm going to suggest to you that the beauty of heaven is not really, that's not really the way we should think of it. Not completely. Because we get to thinking about that and, and it's kind of like heaven becomes a vacation, an eternal vacation in God's spiritual Disneyland or something like that. 
And as we continue to read in the Bible, we read that the beauty of heaven is not only to be thought of in just the, the things you can see in aesthetic terms like that. But really, the wonder of heaven, the beauty of heaven, comes from the fact that God is there. And as we read passages in the Bible that we, we actually read to talk about the golden street and, and the pearly gates and things like that. What I want you to do as we read some of these this evening is to look for something else. Because even the verses that talk about that, if you look a little harder, what you find out, that's not what is emphasized. What is emphasized is the fact that God is in heaven. And that's what makes it a beautiful place. That's what makes it the place that we want to be. The grandeur of heaven comes from the presence of God in that place. Look with me over in Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Revelation 4, beginning with verse 1. John says, And after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be, which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And you skip down to verse 8 and you've got this throne as the centerpiece of heaven. And what's going on around that? Verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever, then the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and they worship him that lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. That's a description of heaven. And it's all about God. It's all about God. And yes, the the throne is beautiful. And it's got an emerald rainbow above the throne. But it's the one who sits on the throne. Who's being worshipped and praised as we read that. Look in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 beginning with verse 1. He says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. 
The biggest point is that God will be with us and be our God. Look in verses 22 and 23. And I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it and the Lamb is the light thereof. God illuminates heaven. God is everywhere in heaven. Chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. Remember over in John chapter 1 where it says that no man has seen God at any time. Heaven is the place you get to see God face to face. They shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there and they need no candle neither light of the sun. For the Lord gives them light and they shall reign forever. And ever. Listen, heaven is a beautiful place. But it's not special because of the beauty of the streets and the gates and things like that. Heaven is a beautiful place because that's where God is. God is, is who makes heaven beautiful. And I would suggest to you that heaven... It just wouldn't be heaven if God wasn't there. That's what heaven is all about. And when we think of heaven, instead of thinking of just a a beautiful place to the sight, we need to be thinking of heaven. I want to go there because I want to be with God. That's why that place is special. Let me give you an illustration. There is a city over in Texas called Baytown. There are not many places like it in Texas because it's really ugly, okay? Most of the places are just really, really beautiful. The only place, it's probably like the second most ugly place in Texas. The the number one is Beaumont, so you don't really need to go to Beaumont, okay? But we used to love to go to Baytown, We used to love to go to the ugliest, one of the ugliest places in in Texas. It's on the Gulf. It's an oil town. There's dirty oil rigs everywhere. The ship channel's right there, and the ships come by, and the water's all filthy. Forget white sand. You're lucky if you get brown sand there, okay? It's just ugly. But we used to love to go to Baytown because my parents lived there. Family lived there. And that's really what I want you to do when you think of heaven. Want to go to heaven because God is there. And you need to understand how special it is to be able to be with God. 
And I want to read some verses with you that most of them you're familiar with, but I want you to look at them looking for something different this time. And let's see if we can pick out in these verses how many times that the writers emphasize that about heaven. It's where you get to be with God. For example, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, the Apostle Peter, Apostle Paul says he was writing in hope of eternal life. What was he hoping for? To have a place in heaven? Well, kind of, but not really. Because what is eternal life? Eternal life is when you get to be with God. That's what spiritual life and eternal life would be getting to be with God forever. And that's what he was hoping for. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1. Most of us are familiar with this one. 1 Peter chapter 1. Beginning with verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. I want you to stop there before we get where we're really going. Notice what he says in verse 3. That God has been merciful to us. How, How do we know that? What did He do for us that showed us mercy? It says that he, he has begotten us again unto a lively hope. He gave us hope. You see, by giving us hope, he was showing us mercy. And how that works is because he knew we really need hope. How many times do you get discouraged during the day? How many days do you spend maybe depressed or despondent and think, well, life is just not going very well? You need something to look forward to, don't you? You need something to hang on to for the future, don't you? And God knows that. And when you take your whole life, many times your whole life, there's some mountaintops, but there's a lot of valleys too. And some of them are real tragic. They're really deep. And you need something to hang on to, to look forward to. A merciful God has given you that. If you'll just use it. You keep reading in verse 4, he says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fades not away. Now listen to the word here, reserved in heaven for you. Now, I'm just going to be a little picky with the words there. It doesn't say heaven is reserved for us. That's not what it says. It says that our inheritance is reserved in heaven. It doesn't even say that heaven is the inheritance. It says the inheritance is reserved in heaven. Heaven is where you go to get the inheritance. That's where it's located. And the inheritance is eternal life. The inheritance is getting to be with God. You just have to go to heaven to get that because that's where God is with us. You remember in Luke 23, verse 43, when the thief kind of took up for Jesus and Jesus says to him, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And people read that. And most of the time, my experience is there's a discussion about paradise that comes up. Let's explain paradise. What is paradise? And I'm going to suggest to you that's not the important part of that verse. That's not the important part of the promise that the man received. The with me Part is the most important part where Jesus says, today you will be with me. 
just so happens that's going to be in paradise. Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13, the beginning of that is where the Apostle Paul is talking about those who have died in the Lord. And there were others that were worried, well, what's going to happen to them when the Lord returns again? In verse 16, they are told, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. What words? So shall we ever be with the Lord. Well, where are we going to be with the Lord? We have an idea about that, but it really doesn't matter, does it? As long as we spend eternity with the Lord. That very fact should bring comfort. And that promise should bring hope to us. Hope that will help us make it through the day. You know, there were some people who got to be with Jesus on the earth. And they learned how special that was. They realized how special that was. Look over in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13 and chapter 14, Jesus is beginning to prepare the disciples for his departure. He's not going to be with them anymore. In John chapter 13, verse 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Just a little bit longer is what that means. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. And so now I say to you, I'm leaving you. Not going to be with you anymore. And you can't go where I'm going. In verse 36, Peter says to him, Where are you going? Whither goest thou? And thou can and whither I go, thou excuse me. He says, Why can't I go with you? In verse 37. Why can't I follow you now? I want to go with you. And just notice that that the disciples that were with Jesus, they couldn't imagine not being with Jesus. It was that special to them. And Jesus gave them a promise. He says in chapter 14 and verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And we read this and we want to talk about our mansions. And I, I like to talk about my mansion as well as, well as you do. But the real promise is that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, there's a negative side to this, and that's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is for those who don't make it. Okay? They don't get to go to heaven, but notice how that is stated. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, it talks about Jesus... And what he's going to do when he returns. And it says, 
in verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Now, again, we talked Sunday about there are people saying you can just disobey God. You don't have to obey God. You can be disobedient in some things and still be all right. This passage says he's going to take vengeance on those who don't obey. And notice what the vengeance is in verse 9. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. The destruction is from the presence of the Lord. For eternity, you don't get to be in God's presence. You don't get to spend eternity with God. And as you read this passage, which is the bad warning, and you read the other ones, which are the wonderful promises, they all center around that the real thing about heaven that makes heaven special and beautiful is that's where I get to be with God forever. Now, when you start thinking of heaven more than just a pretty place, but we, we begin to grasp this and we, we begin to get in our hearts this idea. I want to be with God. I don't want to miss out on that. I want to be with God forever. And if I make it to heaven, I'm going to have to be with God. Because God, the presence of God, is going to be in every nook and cranny of heaven. He will illuminate the place. Now, you know, I, if I wanted to, I could move to Birmingham and live in the city and never see one of you again, Right? We just kind of stay apart because it's a big city. Heaven's not going to be like that. God's going to be everywhere in heaven. If you are in heaven, you're going to be around God. That's, that's a good thing. But what that should spur you to do is to begin to investigate God. What kind of God is this that I'm going to be around? And so you begin to study and you begin to look at this. And as you do, you begin to learn what kind of God he is. You learn about God's love for you and me when we don't deserve it. You learn about the mercy of God, how God, even with all the stuff we've done, He wants things to be right between us. And if it takes Him forgiving us when we don't even deserve it, He's willing to do that. You've got to obey Him. You've got to do what He says to be forgiven. But even then, you don't deserve it. And He will forgive us anyway if we'll just meet His terms. The mercy of God. You learn about the, the kindness of God. You read about how He dealt with Elijah when I, Elijah was all discouraged. And, and, and His voice said, Elijah, what are you doing? And Elijah said, I'm all by myself. And the angel made him, made him food. And he went back to sleep. And another time the voice goes, Elijah, what are you doing here? He said, I, I just want to die. I'm all by myself. And the angel makes him another meal. You read the story of Abraham where Abraham goes and he rescues Lot when Lot has been kidnapped. And they have this great victory over the five kings and the very next chapter in Genesis 15, you find Abraham sitting in his, de in his tent de depressed and discouraged. After this great victory that he had. And why? He said, I, I just want a son. I just want my own little boy. 
And God takes him outside and he says, Abraham, count the stars for me. Well, there's too many. Don't start counting, Abraham. Well, there's just too many. And God says, that's how many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren you're going to have. The kindness, the love, the compassion, the graciousness of God, the holiness of God, the fairness of God, and on and on and on it goes that we learn. And the more I learn of that, the more I want to go to heaven so I get to be with God. I want to spend eternity with a God like that. This is the true desire from heaven which can move us to do what we're supposed to do to get there. Listen, heaven is a beautiful place, not because of what it looks like. But heaven is a beautiful place because God is there. And you need to really, really want to go there. The problem with this world is we have a lot of other stuff to do. You see, if today I don't get to be with God, I got other stuff to do. I, now I have to go to work, but I, I've got ball games. I can watch a ball game. I can go attend a ball game. I might get to play in some kind of ball game and I can have a good time and never be around God. There are deer to kill and fish to catch and I can have a good time and never be around God. There are malls out there that have every kind of store you could imagine. You could spend all day in the mall and have a great time and never be with God. But listen, the Bible tells us that one day... All the footballs, all the baseballs, and all the basketballs are going to get burned up. And all the football fields and baseball fields and gymnasiums, they're going to get burned up. And all the fish and all the water and all the fishing rods you would use to catch them, they're all going to be burned up. And I hate to say it, but all the deer and all the deer rifles are going to be burned up. And I don't want to break some of you's heart, but every store in the mall is just going to get burned up. And the day of judgment is going to come. And it's just going to be you and God. That's it. Just you and God. And there will be a question for each person as they... Step up to the judgment seat. Only one question that every person there will, will want to know the answer to. And that is, for me, do I get to be with God forever? That's all that's going to matter. I promise you, everything else in your life will be passing to the side. And that will be the only question on your mind on the day of judgment. Will you get to be with God forever? That's it. And so my question to you now is, shouldn't that be the most important thing to you now?
Because you see, to get a yes answer to that question on the day of judgment, you've got to get ready now. There are things that you have to do now. If you want to be with God forever, it's not my word that says you have to be baptized for the remission of your sins. It is the words of the inspired apostle Peter. God told him to say that. It is the words of Jesus that say that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And I, and I don't want to be smart aleck sounding to you, but if you're here tonight and you haven't obeyed the gospel, you have not been baptized for the remission of your sins. And you know what it says. You know what the teaching is. And you know you've done wrong things that you need forgiveness for from God. And you haven't been baptized. Very kindly my question to you would be. Why, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The Apostle Paul. Before he was known as the Apostle Paul. Had a man named Ananias ask him that question. He said here's what you need to do. What are you waiting for? And so I ask you. You probably heard invitations before. You've probably had people stand up here and and say to you, just come forward and be baptized. We'll help you do that. And you didn't. And the question would be, why not? What are you waiting for? Do you understand there's actually an answer to that question? It's not going to be the same answer that somebody else might give that's waiting. But for each person, there's an answer to the question. There is something holding you back. And whatever the answer is for you, I promise you, it's not worth it. It's not worth it for you to take a chance on your soul. What are you waiting for? I don't know who builds the mansions in heaven, but don't you think it's about time they started on yours? Don't you think it's about time you were able to go home and sleep and have some guy like me preach a lesson like this and you don't have to be worried when you go to sleep whether you're going to wake up or not? I'm going to tell you, I see that a lot. I see that a lot. Don't you think it's time? Don't you want to go to heaven? That's where you will get to be with God. If you need to be baptized, let us help you get started on that road. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?